I was expecting you. Today, tomorrow, yesterday. It was only a matter of time. Welcome to John Adams High, where you are gonna die, that's right. Hey, little bro, life's tough, get a helmet. They just shot the neighbor! Sean, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but you're kind of a babe. The Secret of Life by Plays of Squirrels. Underpants. Mr. Feeney? Mr. Feeney! I love the Feeney call. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode three of the Feeney podcast. Here, we're uh, just getting rolling. My name is Josh, and I am joined by my co-host, Jacqueline. Hi, Jacqueline. How's it going? Hello, everyone. It's going great. Awesome. We are ready for our next episode here. A couple of fun notes right off the top here. We do have Instagram. We are on Facebook. You can follow us at all of those places at Feeny Podcast, F-E-E-N-Y, at Feeny Podcast. And you can listen to us pretty much anywhere podcasts are listened to these days. We've got a pretty good stretch on the market there. Also, you can call in and we will answer any of the questions that you have. We'll make sure that you have the links to how to call in or leave us a voice message. You can also email us, feenypodcast at gmail.com. We've got lots of different ways to get you involved and we'd love to hear from you, whether we miss something or uh, whether there's something else you want answered or a question, anything like that, we're happy to take your calls. Yes, please call in. I'm so excited to hear what people have to say. We did get our first caller. It was my brother who's very excited to be listening to this podcast. I think it has been a while since he's watched any of these episodes. So he's kind of seeing them fresh and is also helping us kind of put together some deep dives, which he's known for. So we'll play this little clip from Dan as he called in with some information about one of the previous episodes. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Dan Shaw, I'm Josh's brother, big fan of the podcast and what they're doing, just a couple things I wanted to throw out there. One, the uh, Phillies won 3 to nothing over the Atlanta Braves in that game to clinch their playoff spot, that is a real game, it really happened on a Friday, it was September 24th, the day the episode aired. Uh, second thing, Super Soakers, the original Super Soaker was also dubbed the Shaw, didn't catch on, obviously, because they weren't initially called Super Soakers, but that was interesting. Shaw, that's our last name, and uh, and milk for dinner. Always had milk for dinner. It was disgusting. Imagine eating spaghetti and meatballs with milk. It's gross. Not good, but we were absolutely forced to do it. Thanks. Also, my dad is a, a big podcast fan, and he listened and um, just wanted to chime in that Earl Scheib, if you remember the uh, old school paint reference from the second episode. How could I forget? He says that Earl Scheib was known for his strong and quality work, despite it being at a discounted price. So it was, in fact, a compliment when Mr. Feeney called Corey a young Earl Scheib. Nice. Yeah. So just some good to have a listener who was alive during some years that uh, that maybe some <laughs> references to. Yeah. Someone who was an adult in the 90s. Exactly. Awesome. So... Again, at Feeney Podcast on Instagram, FeeneyPodcast at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Leave us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We'll have some good content up there. So with that, let's dive into this episode. Episode three of Boy Meets World is called Father Knows Less. Obviously, a hilarious plan words for Father Knows Best. 
Uh, Jacqueline, what's your uh, synopsis here for this episode? What are we looking at? So I'll read you the the episode synopsis, the like the TV guide synopsis, I should say. Corey stays up late to watch a baseball game with his dad, then fails a test at school, provoking a confrontation between his father and his teacher, who have different priorities. And uh, I know you challenged me to kind of rewrite these, but I thought this one was actually pretty good. Essentially, Corey's dad wants to have some uh, Corey Allen bonding time, wakes him up in the middle of the night to watch a baseball game. Exhausted, Corey falls asleep the next day at school right in the middle of a Feeney quiz, which he fails. And when Allen goes to talk to Mr. Feeney and ask him to get Corey to retake the test, Feeney says no. And uh, confrontation ensues. Absolutely. And we, of course, get some good life lessons along the way, which we'll dive into here. So let's dive into the episode. That was great. And you're right. I think the synopsis from the show was actually did a pretty good job, much better than the previous ones. Yeah, they've not all been winners so far, but that one was good. This episode aired October 8th, 1993. So still in 93, moving into October. And this is a very parent-heavy episode. It is. You don't get a lot of kid chit-chat. I think there's one scene in the classroom where maybe Sean or or Minkus have a couple of things to say, but other than that, it really is an adult-heavy episode. Yeah, I don't want to like say this right off the bat, but when I think of Boy Meets World, you know, I think of the quips between the kids and those scenes in the classroom and in the hallways and stuff. So this episode, I was missing that quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. You wonder at the beginning whether they really thought they were going to focus on the family like a lot of these shows do. And then as the show went on, maybe that shift kind of happens towards focusing more on the the, the kids because they're more interesting characters and you can just kind of do more with them as they're growing up. Yeah, I think you're probably right. So this episode starts out in the kitchen. Alan and Corey are making bologna sandwiches. These sandwiches are insane. They're right? disgusting. They put like a whole pack of bologna between bread and they're like bragging about how manly their sandwiches are. Yeah, which like I like a lot of meat on my sandwich too. That's obviously the best part of a sandwich, but this is an entire pack per person. My brother did some quick math here for us. 16 slices come to a pack of that old school like Oscar Mayer bologna that comes in those weird round circles. 80 calories a slice. So each one of those sandwiches in just meat is 1,280 calories. Gross. Yeah. I did used to love bologna as a kid, but I don't think I've had a bologna sandwich in quite a long time. I love bologna, but only good. I like like boar's head bologna, thinly sliced. I'm not. Oscar Mayer bologna is disgusting. Obviously, I'm a bologna connoisseur, as you can tell. (laughs) That sandwich, yeah. That didn't do it for me. So we're expected to believe here that Alan would actually allow a sandwich that high to happen and not only allow it but he made one for himself he's encouraging this behavior which just seems a little wasteful in my opinion manly sandwiches josh i guess i've never had a manly sandwich like that but they're packing bag lunches because they are off to spend the day together watching the blue angels um so they're gonna like take a little trip just the two of them and see them i actually found an article from september 1993 about the blue angels because i was sort of like i know Uh, what the Blue Angels are, but I kind of didn't. They get about 60 to 70 applicants per year, and they only accept two new pilots every year. That's really cool. I actually have an interesting tie-in here. So my brother's wife, my sister-in-law, 
her uncle, Russ Bartlett, was the the head, the captain, or the boss of the Blue Angels for three years in 2002 through 2004. So he, like, flew the planes. He's the star of this movie called A Year in the Life, which is about the Blue Angels. And since 1986, they've flown in FA-18 Hornets. Those are the official planes that they use. And they, if you have not seen a Blue Angel show, they do air shows, mostly in the fall and summer, I think, kind of all over the country. We caught one in San Francisco last year, and they are so fun to watch. They're so fun to watch. They're really awesome. So definitely would have been a fun son and father bonding moment here. But unfortunately, we get introduced to Leonard Spinelli, who is going to kind of ruin their plan. So Josh, I would like to posit a theory right now. So I have a theory that on when you're rewatching an old show like Boy Meets World, There are two types of celebrity guest characters. There are people that were hired. They were not celebrities at the time. They're character actors, hired, brought in to do a bit role. And then when you rewatch the show 20, 30 years later, you look back and you're like, oh, that person's famous now. You recognize them, but at the time they weren't famous. And then, of course, there's your classic guest stars like, um, you know, Boy Meets World has a ton of them. I think they have the band The Monkees on at some point. So there's people that were like famous at the time. They walk out. They get all the applause. Everyone knows they're a guest star. And then there's people like Leonard Spinelli, the assistant manager of Allen's grocery store, who was nobody at the time. He was a character actor. But he is known now for playing Stanford Blatch on Sex in the City. Yeah, that's probably his most well-known role. I know a lot of people, and by people I mean like middle-aged women and my brother, uh, watch White Collar on USA or one of those channels. And he's stars as Mozzie, apparently, from, from White Collar. Never seen it, but I think that's one of his other big roles more recently. But yeah, his real name is Willie Garson. And as you mentioned, his big role was playing Stanford on Sex and the City. But at the time, he was just a character actor, and this was just a bit role for him. So he shows up, and there's what there's like a flood at the grocery store, so Alan can't go see the Blue Angels. Exactly. Yeah, the first thing that hits the store here is the is kind of this flood, and there's Alka Seltzer in the next aisle. So lots of lots of bad things happening at the store. And this really sets the stage for the episode. And and as you mentioned, the synopsis, you know, Alan's just trying to spend some time with his son. And this is the first obstacle that gets in their way. Yeah. This guy, Lenny, is not funny at all, the way he's playing this character. And I just cannot wait for him to get off the screen. And I really hope they don't bring him back many times. Yeah, I hope so, too. I I don't remember him per se. So hopefully that's a good sign that we're not going to see him. I looked it up. He appears in four episodes total. Two of those episodes, he plays Lenny. And in the other two episodes, he plays completely unrelated characters. That's right. That's right. I did see that too. Yeah. So we'll only have to uh, muscle through him as Lenny in one more episode. And then we he won't be back as Lenny. I mean, it sounds like he's probably going to get fired because he does a terrible job at the store. Bad manager. All right. So... That sets the scene for the next scene here, which is that Alan is waking up Corey and tries to wake up Eric, but Eric's stuck in his dream. But they're going to go because uh, Kurt Schilling, pitcher for the Phillies, is throwing a no-hitter and they kind of want to go down and watch it together. Uh, Yeah, so they're playing on the West Coast. He says they're playing against the Dodgers. And have you noticed, like, as you are thinking about the show now, these Philadelphia references tend to taper off 
as the show goes on. They've really been playing it up these first few episodes that they're in Philadelphia and like trying to build this character of the town and like Corey being a Phillies fan and all that. But that really is not going to stick around on the show. Exactly. Yeah. This is, I think every episode so far has had a baseball reference and, you know, baseball has actually been kind of like the main talking point in a couple of these episodes, including this one here. So definitely a couple interesting things about baseball. You can fast forward about two minutes if you uh, just want to skip all the baseball fun facts, but Kurt Schilling did pitch for the Phillies during this time. Never threw a no hitter though. Uh, This game that they're referencing is made up, never happened. Later on, Corey does kind of talk about some other Phillies no-hitters. He mentions Tommy Green, May 1991, Jim Bunning threw a perfect game in 1964. Those things both did happen. But this particular game, Kurt Schilling in his career, he's not a Hall of Famer yet, but he probably should be. Uh, Never threw a no-hitter, though. I I mean, no-hitters are very rare, are they not? They are. Perfect games are even more rare. There are many more no-hitters. You'll usually get one or two perhaps a season. So they're not super rare, but yes, they are definitely worth staying up for, uh, which I can relate to because I was an East Coast sports fan as a kid, and those West Coast start time games are tough to watch. I mean, even now, you know, you've got games starting at 8 or 9 p.m. Staying up till past midnight to watch these games is is a tough thing to do, especially when you've got work or school the next day. Right. So Corey and dad are watching the game. It's late. They're eating bologna sandwiches now. So the sandwiches they didn't get to eat earlier, they're eating, which is cute. And dad explicitly tells Corey, do not tell your mother about this. She is not to know that you're up this late. It's our secret. Yes. And a little foreshadowing there, I think. Yeah. I mean, I just want to point out that he, they have an entire conversation about it and he could not be clearer that your mother is never to hear about this. Exactly. Yeah. The, like you said, the bologna sandwich thing is funny. He's drinking, they're drinking Pepsis, which like, okay, you're going to wake your son up in the middle of a school week, in the middle of the night to go watch this baseball game. And on top of that, you're going to feed him Pepsi. That part was seemed a little bit irresponsible. Listen, at that point, you might as well just enjoy just your bologna sandwich with a Pepsi. Just you're going all in. Yeah, yeah, eating handfuls of chocolate chips or whatever else they want to do. So, <laughs> so they stay up. He pitches the no-hitter, this fictional no-hitter. And that leads us into the main conflict of the episode, which happens at school the next day. It's the test. Corey falls asleep. He fails. This is our only like scene in the classroom with Sean and Minkus and... Minkus calls Sean a future plumber, which I thought was rude because I think plumbers are a very noble profession, but that's okay. And Corey reveals after the test that he stayed up late to watch the no-hitter. He's like, come on, Mr. Feeney. The the reason I fell asleep is because I watched this game. And Sean is very impressed with Corey getting to stay up. So big deal. Capital B, capital D. My favorite line, I think maybe from the whole episode, but certainly from this scene is when Mr. Feeney's got, he's collecting the test back and he kind of like feels the stack of papers and then he turns and he says, Feels a C minus short. Ah, yes. Huh? Is the test over? Mm. How'd I do? Looks like an A. I got an A? No, A is the only answer you put down before you slipped into the coma. 
I thought that was so rude of him to like humiliate Corey in front of the whole class. It was certainly rude and unprofessional, but it it made for a great joke. Minkus lists out, so they're talking about how baseball is not a, an appropriate thing to stay up for and fail a test for. And it's like, it's not like it was the Nobel Prize winners being announced. And then Minkus rattles them off uh, by memory, which is impressive, even though, fun fact, none of the people that he mentioned are actually real people, nor did they win Nobel Prizes. Why wouldn't they just use real Nobel Prize winners? I don't know. One of them's name was Narwhal, and that kind of tipped me off that they might not be real people, and sure enough, they were made up. Oh, I was like, surely I must be hearing that wrong, because Narwhal isn't a name. I thought I just misheard. That's so weird. Why would they do that? Well, either way, the Nobel Prize winners are made up. We have that scene, and, and now things start to go bad, because not only has Corey failed this test, but mom finds out that he did feel the test, and, and then everything... No, 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 no. Mom doesn't find out. Corey tells her. Oh, that's right. Like an idiot. He comes home in a panic and he's like, Dad, I totally blew it. I told Feeney that you kept me up late to watch the game. And his mom is literally standing right there. And Alan is gesticulating wildly like, shut up, Corey. (laughs) Stop saying what you're saying. And Corey's just going and going and going. And now mom is pissed. Dad's in trouble. And now they got to go talk to Feeney and plead their case. Yeah, huge mistake by Corey. He, like you said, he really blows this whole thing. He could have probably secretly done this with his dad, but instead, you know, once mom gets involved, it's all over. What a chump. Good line from that scene is Alan talking about being grounded, and Corey asks if mom can ground him. And he says, in certain ways, yes, which is a nod to the adults <laughs> watching the show with their kids because. That'll go over the kids' heads, but the adults will laugh at that one. That also comes back later as like a weird parents having sex joke at the end the of the episode, end, yeah. which, which we can discuss later. Yeah. But So Alan goes out, and now we get our kind of main conflict, which is he's going out there, he's talking to Feeney, trying to say, listen, it's my fault. Let Corey make up this test. I promise it's not going to happen again. You know, I was really just trying to get some bonding time. And, and Feeney is not sympathetic here. He's seen it all over his years of teaching and he's heard all of the excuses and this is not a good enough excuse for him to to let Corey retake the test. He needs to learn a lesson here. So Josh, as someone who used to be a teacher, where do you fall in this situation? What What would you say if one of your students' parents asked you to do that? I am not in the business as a teacher, I think, of like failing kids. It's a good lesson for them to learn to make sure this doesn't happen again, I guess. But, you know, my my job as a teacher is not to fail kids because they like failed to study or what. I want to make sure that kids are learning what they're supposed to be learning. So for me, I would let Corey, I would give him a day or two and say, study for this. You get to take it again. You're not going to get full points on it, but maybe you would get, uh, you know, you can earn up to 80% of the points or something like that. So there's a little bit of a punishment, but like, Really, you're hurting Corey because he's never going to learn this information if you don't let him retake it, and and we're just kind of moving on. So I think Feeney's being a little bit strict here. He does seem to be very rigid in his opinion on this. He's not flexing at all. And then at the end of the conversation, Corey says, Oh, Dad, you got Feenied. Yes, uh, you got Fiend. Oh, it was Fiend? Yeah, you got Fiend, <laughs> F-E-E-N-E-D, which uh, I think Corey has been victim to many times. Uh, one quick note here, a little side note. They mentioned Magellan, who is commonly known as the person who first circumnavigated the globe. That happened in 1522. So 
just a little side note, he started in 1519 with his crew. And it is, this is something we didn't learn in middle school or whenever we learned this, but Magellan actually never completed that trip. He is credited with being the first person to go all the way around the globe, but actually his crew was, uh, his crew finished the trip in 1522, but Magellan himself was killed when he was hit with a poison arrow by a rival tribe in 1521. I still give him credit. I mean, he didn't do it. Well, he, it wouldn't have happened without him. And it's not like he quit halfway through because he just wasn't feeling it anymore. Poison dart to the face is, I still give him credit. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. All right. That's fair. You know, when we can throw Magellan in or really any explorers from the 1500s, I feel like it's a worthwhile divergence. So anyway, Corey calls Feeney a butt, which is rude to do. And, but then the line is funny when Alan says it to Amy later on. Yeah, he calls, he says, Feeney's a butt. And then he's like, go upstairs. You need to respect your teachers. Teachers are important and he's a great teacher. And then as soon as Corey leaves the room, Alan goes, Feeney's a butt. So pretty funny. And Alan is like, all right, forget it, Corey. Like, go upstairs. We're going to go play tennis. Like, go get changed. Get your racket. We're going to go play tennis together. And then Leonard Spinelli comes back again, and he's so not funny again. And we have to sit through another scene with this jerk. I mean, I get it because you want to have this character in person, but, like, couldn't both of these things been phone calls? Like, why why isn't he calling? I know there's, like, a joke about the phone being busy or something earlier, but why? If the sore's on fire... That warrants something more than like taking time to drive over someone's house. Yeah. So the joke at the beginning of the episode is actually that Eric is tying up the phone line and and Leonard can't get a call through. And Eric is on the phone with Heather, the girlfriend from the first two episodes. So he's still with Heather and he's talking... He's talking to her about how, uh, like, how she can hide her hickey, and Amy overhears it, and he looks at her and goes, "Okay, I sucked a neck." <laughs> it was it was really funny. Um, so Eric has very few lines in this episode, but they are still playing up that hunky lady killer angle. I don't know why Lenny had to come over, and he doesn't even lead with the fire. He kind of mumbles around until we learn there's a fire. And for the second time in as many days, Corey and his dad have to postpone plans because Alan's got to go to the store. On the way out, Morgan calls Lenny, Lenny, and he's doing the same like, oh, nice to meet you. And she's like, I know who you are. Which brings up a question. Did you call adults by their first name as a kid? It seemed very cavalier how Morgan just kind of refers to this man as Lenny. No, I don't think so. I think it was always Miss so-and-so, Mr. So-and-so. Yeah, that was the same for me. But maybe there's just those people. Lenny, Lenny's a Lenny, no matter how old you are. Obviously, nobody respects Lenny, so this is not surprising information. Right before Alan goes to the grocery store, he kind of admits that he was wrong to keep Corey up and is, is kind of seeing you know, the ways, being persuaded by Amy mostly, but, but basically saying, listen, Corey, you know, I shouldn't have done that. Like school is the most important thing and you should really be getting your good night's sleep. Yeah. He actually says Mr. Feeney was right before he leaves and Corey looks a little crushed. And then there's a really great Feeney Corey scene right after that. Yes. Which starts because Corey's like tossing his tennis ball up in the air and it goes over the fence. Man, the flashbacks I had of being a kid and playing with a ball in either our backyard or somewhere else, 
and that ball going over into a neighbor's fence. I think that was my first real social anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. It was my first introduction to like being like a sense of danger. My first adventure, like my first adventures as a kid were climbing fences, going into people's backyards when I thought they weren't looking and getting balls and retrieving them and bringing them back. This actually happened to Arthur and me a week or so ago. Our, as you know, like we're on lockdown right now, so everybody's home. The kids are home all day, and our our neighbors on one side of our house they have two youngish kids, uh, like elementary school and middle school, and they were playing with a ball, and it went over our fence, and we had a knock at our door, opened it up, and it was our neighbors, and the dad is standing there like holding the kids' shoulders. <laughs> And he's like, go ahead, ask them. And he's like, can I get my ball? And we were like, I mean, we started cracking up. We we're like, yeah, of course you can go get your ball. And he was like, you know, the guy that used to live here was in his 90s, so he couldn't see or hear anything. So I would tell the kids to just run into the lawn, <laughs> run into the yard anytime they needed to grab the ball. But since you guys are new, I wanted to make sure we asked you before you just saw them walking through your yard. It was really cute. That's really nice. So we gave them carte blanche to come into the yard anytime they lost their ball. They could just come over and grab it. That's a big relief. Honestly, I, I can think back to the anxiety I had looking at my brother, figuring out who was going to go get it. Those were intense moments, especially, you know, I think you've got this scene from the sandlot in your head where you're like going to knock on the door and there's like going to be a huge beast in the backyard and mean old, you know, the mean old guy who's going right. like, to yell at you for going into his yard without asking. So that really put the fear of God into us as kids. I never had that experience as a child, so. So he goes into the yard and Feeney's out there drinking uh, some beverage out of his decanter and nice little liquor set. But as Corey pours himself a huge, huge drink because Feeney offers him a drink from the decanter uh, and then he realizes it's apple juice. Yeah, Corey thinks it's liquor and he pours himself uh, enough brandy to to kill an 11-year-old boy. <laughs> So he fills up the brandy snifter and he sits down. He's like, this is apple juice, which begs the question, why is a grown man filling a decanter with apple juice? And then the follow-up question, why is a grown man drinking apple juice? Apple juice is disgusting. But Feeney reveals that he's not a big drinker. He only enjoys the occasional glass of claret with dinner, which is a Bordeaux wine, for those of you not familiar, a red wine. I was not familiar. I had to look up what a claret was. I wasn't sure if that was going to be a wine or it was like a type of alcohol or something. That was a new word for me. Point well made. Why is he drinking apple juice by himself in the backyard? So they start having conversation and they're talking about, you know, when Mr. Feeney was a kid, how he didn't really get to spend time with his dad all that much. And he really wanted to stay up and listen to President Truman give a speech about the World War II ending and his dad wouldn't let him. So Feeney tells this really interesting story about being a boy during World War II and having to make sacrifices like not having butter for his toast and not being able to get new sneakers because uh, the rubber was all being diverted to the war effort. I thought it was really interesting because we're sort of dealing with those shortages and sacrifices now, but not because of any noble reason where the supplies are going towards relief efforts or anything. It's because people are insane and are hoarding food and toilet paper in their homes. And so there's no toilet paper or flour or yeast or anything. Yeah, there was definitely some similarities between the story that Mr. Feeney's telling and and what's happening in our world now and this kind of 
COVID-19 pandemic. But one interesting fact here, and, and I know this because Dax Shepard talks about this a lot on his podcast. Mr. Feeney's talking about rubber and that a lot of the rubber was diverted to the war, so they couldn't make these shoes. This actually led to the like mass vulcanization process, which is basically making synthetic rubber. So synthetic rubber had been invented, but wasn't really commonly used. And this is a really good example of corporations kind of coming together for the greater good and doing something. And so you have all of these tire companies, basically, they can't make tires because all of the rubber has been going to the war efforts and they come together and they invent in less than a month, a process to make synthetic rubber vulcanization. And that becomes huge from then on out. And it really, it was done out of necessity and all of these corporations came together. And and I think we're seeing that a little bit now with mask production and with some of the breathing machines where these companies who have had to slow production in some areas are ramping it up to help with the efforts. Yeah. And the distilleries making hand sanitizer with some of the distilling products that they have on hand, but producing higher alcohol contents and donating those to hospitals and, and places that need a lot of it. That it, Yeah, that is a very interesting parallel. Corey refers to World War II as the European sneaker war during this, which I thought was really funny referring to the, the rubber and the shoes. That's a hilarious line. And I move that we hereby only refer to World War II as the European sneaker war from, from here on out. The motion passes. Cooper. Either, either we just had a package delivered or someone is breaking into my home. Hard to say. Feeney also has a really nice description. I'm not going to going to recap the whole thing, but he he describes education very poignantly. It's about like the long-term effects that education and learning how to problem solve and be a critical thinker. That's what the education system is about, teaching people how to think and find the information that they need. It's not about memorizing these day-to-day facts and kind of punctuates that by saying, What do you suppose I learned in school that day? I have no idea what you learned that day. Neither do I. We kind of see Mr. Feeney kind of loosens his position as well. And it's a really nice moment where Corey is confused because both people have now flipped their positions, but there's still no right answer. I watched an interview with William Daniels, who plays Mr. Feeney, and he said that he has such a great respect for teachers and educators. And he really, when he took the role, he told the creators that he didn't want to play a teacher that was going to be sort of like a bumbling buffoon type character or like going for cheap laughs or ineptitude or whatever. He really wanted to play the role well and do respect to the profession. And I think they really start establishing that so early on in the show where he has these beautiful moments of meaningful dialogue with the kids. And he's talking to 11-year-old Corey like he's a peer. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. That's really nice to hear. I think that is spot on. I'm trying to think of some other shows where there are teachers. And you're right. I mean, teachers get portrayed in a a variety of different ways. But ultimately, Mr. Feeney is a man who probably could have done a lot of things in his career. He's very smart. And he knows a lot about a lot of things. And I'm sure he was driven to do something else. But the fact that he seemingly loves what he does, even after all of these years, is really nice as someone who, when I was teaching, didn't always see that it was the most respected profession. And uh, it's really nice that he took that seriously. 
So at this point, Corey, now his dad has told him that Feeney was right. And Feeney has in many more words told him that his dad was right and that spending time with his dad is important. And so Corey's kind of confused. He's, uh, you know, he goes inside, he, he's in bed and his mother's just trying to explain to him that two people can have different opinions and both of them can be right. And this is where we get to that weird joke about Alan being grounded again. We come back to that. Am I still grounded? We'll talk about it. Hey, talk. I can get anywhere. <laughs> he won't be back tonight. Ew. Yeah, a week end, and then you like get to the credits, and there's no scene after the credits. So my hypothesis from the first episode was right, which is not every one of these episodes is going to have a post-credit scene. And this episode could have used one because it ended pretty weakly. It was not a great ending, but I think that scene with Mr. Feeney was really the high point of the episode. Yeah, it was. Again, not very many shenanigans in this episode. You know, it was it was very family focused and definitely wasn't one of those like quintessential Boy Meets World episodes. No, exactly. So that pretty much does it for this episode. Like you said, not a ton happening, but a good episode overall. If you have any questions or comments or want to call in, if we missed something or something stood out that we didn't touch on, please let us know. You can email us at feenypodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on anchor.fm slash feeny, F-E-E-N-Y, and leave us a voice message. Uh, or you can just reach out to one of us on social media at feenypodcast. Please leave us some messages. Follow us. Get the word out. This is a podcast that we have been having a lot of fun doing, and, and hopefully you've been having some fun so far as well. I also want to drop a teaser that the next episode is going to be incredible. I'm so excited for us to do episode four. So uh, that's all I'll say, but you should be totally, totally psyched to listen to the next episode. It's going to be so good. Absolutely. Episodes dropping every Monday and Friday. So episode four will hopefully be dropping on Monday and that wraps it up. So thank you all very much for listening and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks everyone. <laughs>